Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast. And today I have got a namesake on the show, Brent Dale. Thanks for coming and talking to me, Brent. Thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. I've listened to a few of your podcasts and they're very good. So thanks for taking an interest in us golf pros and coaches. I appreciate that. Um, as we as we spoke about quickly offline, we're not getting huge amounts of downloads for both our podcasts, but we'll no. certainly cover yours as well. Yeah, no dramas, mate. Looking forward to this chat. But it is it is part of the fun, and as I've said, as people have heard me say on the podcast so many times, I do this just as an excuse to talk to coaches. So it's a really cool experience to do that. It's exactly why I started mine. I just wanted to learn a little bit more about uh, what other coaches are doing and why they're successful and. And uh, it's it's definitely opened my eyes the last few months just um, hearing other people's stories and players and caddies and all that sort of stuff. So we'll get into that later. Awesome stuff. So for those that don't know, you give us the short, brief version of your background in golf and how you came about to where you are now. So I was a junior golfer at New, or used to be called New Brighton Golf Club in Sydney. Um, still live just literally a stone's throw from the golf club. It's now called Brighton Lakes. Uh, golf club housing development's gone through and they've changed the course and whatnot um first ever golf course i worked at was sefton golf club which is uh, in the bankstown area uh it didn't last too long i was in an armed robbery oh wow and, uh, yeah so <laughs> that, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on that but uh so that I, I worked there for about a week that obviously happened um 12 months later found myself in uh texas at a university on a well, not on a scholarship, but I, I was a walk on to a team over there and came back for their summer break. Got a job with uh, Craig Tapp, who's a PGA member. He was at Moore Park at the time, and he gave me a job there. And I never went back to the US. I'd planned on saving up and going back, and um, sort of just fell back in love with working in the pro shop and sort of talking to different people from, you know, all different walks of life and just saw um, how cool some of the, like the, we had eight or nine teaching pros that this was back in 2000 and sort of early, early 2000s. Teaching pros there, they just, they just looked like they had the best life. You know, they were outdoors, they were, they were helping people, they were smiling and, and they were making good money. And I sort of thought, wow, that's something I'd like to do and ended up starting my traineeship 2006, graduated 2008, and then we, um, I ended up caddying for Ewan Porter for, for, the, that, for the summer of sort of the end of 2008 and the start of 2009, and then we went over to the US and came back, got an assistant pro job at Liverpool Golf Club, sort of yeah. did two, two years of that decided I just wanted to teach. So uh, I obviously had a strong passion for coaching. I really love sort of helping people. And I sort of did about 15 months full-time coaching at a driving range and a golf course. And then uh, the golf operations manager job came up at uh, Liverpool. So I actually went back and I've been there ever since. So that was 2012. So we're nearly we're nearly 10 years uh, in this role. And you know, I was sort of employed to help. Uh, it was back then there wasn't a lot of, you know, pro shops getting taken over by the golf club. It was very fresh and raw and um, it was a challenge to begin with. Actually, I had no idea what I was doing, zero. Um, <laughs> and and I look back now and, and I sort of laugh, but I've learned so much along the way and, you know, they really wanted me to help grow their 
sort of junior. They, they love their junior golfers and, and whatnot at the club. So uh, there was three kids currently at the club when, when I came back in 2012. And last year we had 80 in our program. So I've got some good coaches sort of under me helping me and I uh, I couldn't be happier. There's like everything with golf, it's challenging. It's been busy the last few years and um, with COVID and, you know, being the only sport that we could play up here in Sydney. But um, I absolutely love my job. And that's 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 probably the the thing about golf is most people that are into it and are in in the in the golf industry tend to enjoy it, and that's obviously yeah. a really really powerful thing. There's so many people doing um or that that do stuff that they don't like. So to have something that you can get up and do every day that you enjoy is obviously really powerful. Yeah, look, I I definitely have um you know like like anyone's job you have days some days where it's you know or weeks or periods where you're like hey this this sucks i want to do something else but <laughs> they're very few and far between my dad has always said he worked at his job for 50 years and he always said to me just find something you enjoy doing and you'll never work a day in your life and i still get up some days and just go to work and it doesn't feel like you're going to work you go there and you're talking to people all day and yes you've got you know, jobs and tasks that you've got to do. But overall, it's a pretty, pretty cruisy lifestyle. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, mate, there's some th- things that have popped up in that, that first answer there that I wasn't conscious of. So that's a nice thing. Yeah. Um, we had someone on those podcasts in the last couple of weeks, Cat Odgers, that played some college golf in the, yeah. in the States as well. Tell me about your experience over there. You're a, you said you're at Texas. Yeah. So I went to a junior college um, about an hour and a half north of Dallas. Um, looking back at it, I, I didn't sort of utilize it to its full potential. We, we got over there. I went with, um, my best mate, Nathan Page, who, uh, we both ended up doing our traineeships the same year and whatnot. And, you know, he was the best man at my wedding and vice versa. And, um, but we, we went over there together and, um, probably, you know, enjoyed the college life a little too much, partied and, and just just um, experienced, you know, what it was like. Um, it's it's different. Like over here, you know, we have coaches that, you know, anyone that coaches golf over here are pretty much PGA qualified and whatnot. And we, we got in the bus um, with the coach. He picked us up from Dallas airport and we were driving back and we found out that you know he was a 15 handicapper and this sort of stuff which is fine there are, there's a lot of managers I've you know realized now and um it just there was just a few things that just didn't sit right with you know there was nine of us on the team and probably eight of us sort of uh weren't overly you know happy with him but we we had an absolute ball we had um there was two Scottish guys an Irish guy and three Australians on the team and three Americans and it was just we just had so much fun in, you know, a short little span. And like I said, I, I came back and planned on going, you know, I was just going to work for two months and then and then head back over and um, it just sort of never happened. I, you know, fell in, obviously fell in love with wanting to be back in the golf industry here. But, um, yeah, co- college is, you know, I, I basically have just started this podcast, as you alluded to at the start, just, just because um, I think it's such a good – experience for junior golfers that you know perhaps want to be a pro but you know i think you know 18 is too young for kids to be able to do a traineeship but you know definitely if they were to head over to the us and do you know two to four years at a a college whether it's a junior college or a or a four-year one 
such a good experience. Just you know, learning to get out of your comfort zone, travel on your own, play events, and um, you you end up being the the center of attention almost everywhere you go. It was different where we were. Like we're in this smaller town in the middle of Texas, and people had never you know, hardly met anyone from outside their state and all of a sudden there's all these different accents that they'd never heard of and whatnot, but it was a great time. And I've, you know, I try to encourage any of my juniors that are at a good enough level to at least go over and at least try, say, 12 months of it and sort of see where it goes. Sounds cool. So how close to, how close is college life to what you see on TV these days? Yeah, it's it's funny. (laughs) Like without, um, we could probably do a, a whole segment that wouldn't class uh, get past the uh the m right what, what would you call it? the pg rating <laughs> but no look it was it was definitely um like i said I, I probably if i had my time over i would have taken it a lot more serious but when i went when i was 18 and it was just it was just such a big um change for us like you know getting over there and the countries are very similar australia and, and the us but just getting over there and you know it, it is pretty much, you know, there was parties, you know, most weekends. So if we sort of weren't away at a tournament or whatnot, there was a party on and it was it was the best six months of my life that I went. I only went for one semester, but um it was it was fantastic. Awesome. Um it's funny you said about about having the fifteen handicapper as the as the coach, because that kind of came up with Kat when we're talking about about her. So obviously that type of player or that type of coach in speech marks is not going to yeah. be someone who's going to be able to help you with your golf swing. How did yeah. you go about improving your, your swing or your, your, your own game? Uh, so I had a coach. My dad um, was in the horse racing industry for 50 years, and uh, he he was really good friends with a PGA member called Sid Cowling. Now, Sid uh, passed away maybe about four years ago, and he was like 95, so he was – quite old when I was I used to dad used to take me to Terry Hills to see him for just for the odd lesson and then he moved to the Gold Coast and I might fly up there sort of once a year and hang out with him and his wife and like you know they were 70s and 80s and I was going up there they were just cool people and um, I, I would just ring him and you know you look at things like now like he was obviously too old for the whole you know iPhones and all that sort of stuff <laughs> even if he was around now but I used to just call him and I would just explain what was going on and, you know, he was he was a simple coach and he was like, hey, you just need to slow it down at the top. Maybe get to the top of your backswing and count to one before you allow yourself to downswing because he knew I was always pretty aggressive from the top and, and whatnot. But that was basically it. One of the other guys on our team who's, you know, become one of my best mates, Christian Rainey, he's a PGA member in Tasmania. Um, he used to drive um, – an hour and a half to Dallas. There was a coach um, in Dallas that he used to go and see. But look, a lot of us used to just bash balls in the sort of range, the makeshift range that we had on campus and, and whatnot. Um, there wasn't a lot of this. This guy tried to coach us a bit, and okay. um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that was where he sort of got a lot of the players off guard and whatnot. He was just he was a different he was a different human being. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds <laughs> like it. It's. Yeah. Funny you say that with that older coach, just being being um, able to help you out essentially from what you were describing. describing. Mm. How much of that type of coaching do you think's gone from from golf coaching these days? 
You know, it's it's funny. Like I, I've been to a truckload of seminars and just I, I, my wife thinks I'm insane with my coaching. Like I, <laughs> I just, I think like any you know coach that wants to be the best coach they can be, they're they're just like a sponge. They just want to learn as much as they can. And you know, I'm always asking questions on you know how, you know, I was calling the tea yesterday at Liverpool Golf Club for a Saturday round and I just looked at my assistant pro and I started saying, did you see that like guy's action? Why was he doing that? Like I think we're always, you know, um, sort of looking for ways to, you know, help our students and whatnot. And I've got a, a truckload of technology. Um, you know, I've got Sam Putt Lab, I've got Capto, I've got um, BodyTrack, I've got FlightScope, HackMotion. There are days that I just switch it off and, you know, I'll have a tech-free week. And I, I sort of believe I still get just the same results. But a lot of people these days want to see all the technology and they want to see numbers and this and that. But I, I think um, it's an art to be able to just go and stand on a range and watch what the ball's doing and then reverse engineer it from that because really that's that's the, the big thing with most people is ball flight. You need to get that right. I mean, Gary Barter always used to say, I used to get lessons down at the Australian off Alan Bull, which was Barter's offsider, and Bully became a really good mentor of mine. And, you know, I'd say 12 years ago they were anti-trackman and all that sort of stuff. I know times have changed and they've got a really good centre and whatnot there down there, but, you know, Barter always used to say my grandmother could coach with a trackman. Okay. And you know he was it was it was it was an art I guess for Gary is what I used to sort of read off him he was like no it's got to look it's got to look like this or the ball's got to do this you know whatever trackman's saying you know it's it's giving us numbers but it's not helping the person in front of us so yeah yeah and no I would be on the same kind of page as that it's a tool that you use yeah um, so you don't have to guess essentially what's actually happening in impact but I'd certainly like and. Um, as you're aware, I've worked for the PGA in the in the past and in the training section with the trainees, and we, we talk about working, if you don't have track men, seeing what the ball's doing and working from that ball flight. Mm. And you can, you, can, you, can, you can get a feel for what the path and face is and all that kind of stuff just by seeing what the ball's actually doing. So it's a really cool skill to have. I, I've, I've had a, a student that um, he played up in Asia a bit, Mitch Davis. He's an Australian, Australian kid, and he had a – truckload of talent and um you know if he had had probably a little bit better mental game he would have been a world beater but we we never used pretty much any technology because if we got flight scope out he got worse he just couldn't see numbers he was just such a field player and i sort of you know tested a couple of times and you're looking at looking at his numbers and he just was like nah just turn it off i don't want to know about it (laughs) Well, again, as a as a coach, it's up to you to be able to probably see that that information. Because mm-hmm. as as a coach personally, I, I do want to see what those what that information is, but then be able to explain it to him in a field type way, so he yeah. can go and apply it. Completely agree. Which is um, a pretty tough tough thing to do sometimes with players, and then you then you, you get those players that are just obsessed with seeing the mm. the, the the data, which is just yeah. even harder to coach those kind of players sometimes. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So tell me about caddying. That's something that I wasn't aware of either. So you've gone out and caddy for a little while. How so, was that? So you and you and Porter, um, we played a lot of junior golf. We were sort of friends from you know sixteen years old and up, and um, he was always a 
super, super talent. And um, he just, we, we were sort of chatting sort of late 2008, just about a couple of things. He he'd had a bit of a blow up with uh, Wayne Riley over the Facebook thing. I don't know if you ever heard the story about. No, I haven't heard that story. All right, you'll have to, you'll have to Google it. Um, okay. <laughs> time for a night. Anyway, so they, they'd had a bit of a blow up about a couple of things and you and I were just chatting on Facebook and he um, he just sent me a message randomly and said, hey, I don't have a caddy for, for the summer. Are you keen? And I said, look, I can't. You know, I've got – he wanted – it was early December, like we know our events are, and he said, I'll pay you more than what you get as a trainee. And anyway, so I sort of looked at it and I spoke to the club and I said, look, I, I know I haven't really got any leave, but can I just take some time, time off without pay and just want to go and have a bit of fun and see what it's like and – he um first event was the Australian Masters and he played with uh Mark Leishman the first day. That was pretty cool. I honestly it was just um it was a cool experience because you know now with my coaching I'm so big on juniors making sure that their head's right when they play and looking back like you and even to, like I still chat to him most days. He um he's a great person, and if he had a, had a calmer head when he played golf, the, no doubt in the world he would have been a top ten player. Like it's a he, caddy's job, though, isn't it? Mate, come on, you're supposed oh, to calm it was, down. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not the calmest of persons sometimes. And uh, <laughs> no, look, it was a it was a great experience. He pretty sure he was sort of you know top. He was definitely top ten. It might have been top five or six after two rounds, and sort of faded in that event. And then we got to um, we got to Coolum the week after, and um, he just wasn't feeling it. He sort of uh, he played nine holes the first round and actually withdrew, okay. and um, and came home. It had been a long year. He won Moona at the start of that year, and um, and then didn't manage to get his card. Um, and I think it was just you know like golf's such a mentally taxing game, and. He'd, he'd had enough. And there, so there was one more event. It was the Australian Open at Royal Sydney. And he obviously grew up in Cronulla. He got back to Sydney and he just started catching up with his friends every night for dinner and drinks and whatnot. And it was, he was just so relaxed. He was just a different person from the previous two weeks to that week. And um, he went out and had a course record the first round, um, led. He shot so he had sixty five. He had seventy the round round two. Uh, we went out in the last group. I think it was for round three, and it was just the best experience. Like he, they had that Oakley hole on the second last hole, and you know, I'd I'd grabbed a toilet roll, and um, like before we teed off, and I put in the bag, and we got to that hole, and he's throwing toilet rolls. Like it was just <laughs> he just he just sort of just fed off the crowd the whole week. He had all his friends there watching him and we went out the last round and um, he he ended up finishing, I think he finished 10th or 11th for the week. But, you know, it was just, it just goes to show if you're in a good frame of mind how, how much better you can play than sort of, you know, not being in a good frame of mind. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. So then went to the Johnny Walker with him and we went back to Moona and you just, I learned so much more about, you know, one of the questions that I 
sort of ask now in my podcast to people is, you know, what do you see in the good players do on the range the week of an event? And and I've learned now that the best players are conserving their energy, whereas, you know, back then Ewan was sort of doing his head in on the range. Like I was just finished my traineeship and he was hitting a shot, videoing it, you know, on a digital camera that was about, you know, 10 frames a second. So you, you couldn't even see what you actually wanted to see. And, um, you know, he uh, he sort of paralysis by analysis comes to <laughs> comes to mind, and <laughs> and you know we still talk about this. You know, if we if we had the experience that we had now, sort of, you know, that was twelve years ago. It, you know, it might have been a different um, different story, but we, we wouldn't trade it for the world. We have we still just crack up via text messages now about some of the stuff that you know happened to both of us, sort of, you know, for those events and whatnot. So. No, that's cool. It's um, it, it is funny, and it is you. You kind of want to tell these players that you've already, you should have already done the preparation weeks out of those prior to those tournaments, and done the work on your swing, and done the work on the actual technique of golf. And then when you're out there playing the tournament, it's just all about playing golf as opposed to working on on golf swing. If you haven't got it, um, I'm a big believer. If you haven't got it, you're not going to find it just before you tee off. And then even if you do. It's not going to be there on the first or the second. Like you get, you're going to like it's. You you just got to go with what you've got. You know, you get what you're given on the day because we all know that one day you could turn up and you're hitting a nice little fade, and the next day you got a twenty meter hook, and you know, there's no point in stressing about it. You just got to you just play get, with it. Exactly. Yep. Aim a bit more right or aim a bit more left, and just just go with it. That's it. It's um a curious point you made there is the. F- fact that he played or he played improved when he was at home close to his family obviously and in his comfort zone probably yeah. is a simple way to put it mm-hmm. as a coach how do you get your players to be in that comfort zone so to speak when they're traveling because it's hard well you know what i i encourage all of my students to get as uncomfortable as they can in practice um i'm probably the last five years my coaching's evolved and changed so much i used to be a Hey, I want you to look this way with your swing, or I want you to, you know, I I used to have, you know, swing models that I'd look at, and I couldn't tell you the last time I actually, people probably laugh at this. Last time I actually compared a student's swing to a model swing, mm-hmm. it would be it'd be four or five years. I compare them against themselves, you know. Hey, this was you three months ago, and this is you now, because I uh, yeah, look. So with my practice, it's. You know, you've probably seen some stuff on Instagram. It's all practice games. So when we have our group clinics with our juniors, it's I just try to make it as hard as possible for them um, so that they're nervous when they practice, they're out of their comfort zone, so that when they actually go and play a tournament, all of a sudden those nerves that they might have, yeah, it's good to have them, but they've practiced under the same sort of pressure. Whereas, you know, if, you, if you're if you on a range and you're giving yourself perfect lies and, you know, um, putts, are, you make sure you've always got easy putts or easy chips, I don't believe that you're, you're practicing the way that you should and you go into a tournament and you come undone. Yeah, no, that, that is um, completely sensible. I used to um, do something with the, the kids in Taiwan when I was coaching over there and we used to have, okay, you're playing a tournament, this is going to be your perfect pre-round routine. Yep. And we get them to actually plot it out. Going to do this for has so many minutes and all the way through. Then we'd say, okay, you turn up to the uh, to the tournament, and they haven't got a practice fairway, so yeah. you need to come up with a different, different pre-round way. routine. Yeah. Um, okay, you've got that routine now. You your car 
on as you head into the tournament, gets a flat tire. Yeah, and you turn up ten minutes before your tea time. You got to have a a a plan to get through. You'd be able to still play, um, but you haven't had that chance to go through your full. So again, just getting tied into being outside your comfort zone, I think, is really yep. important for all sorts oh, of good players. Big time. That's why I started my podcast. Yeah, it's not really something that like I can talk, you know. But you know, you put me in front of a, a microphone, and I'm recording and whatnot, and I, you know, I'm chatting to people that I don't like. I, I've known them a long time, but you know, we might just exchange texts here and there, like an Aaron Price who I you know, release his episode sort of next week. and But just to be able to sit there and rack their brains, I'm out of my comfort zone asking asking certain questions and whatnot, but I'm loving it. No, it's awesome stuff. Again, you, you put up a good point when you said you like to put them in, in uncomfortable spots when they're practicing as well. And I used to do something, I do something similar with, with my own players and I can still see the look on some of the Taiwanese kids' faces when I, I used to play a game on the course. We go on the course and if they hit the fairway, mm-hmm. um, so they'd have to call the side of the fairway they were trying to hit, and if yep. they hit that side of the fairway, that was fine. They could play it. If they missed that side of the fairway, kicked the ball into the rough. Yep. Um, and then if they hit it into the rough, I kicked it into the trees. Yeah, and awesome. that was where they had to play from. <laughs> and then if they hit the green, I kicked it off the green. Yep. If they didn't hit the green, I kicked it into a sand bunker. And if they hit it into a sand bunker, I stood on the ball. And the idea was just to make wow. them play and see how yeah. they went. That's um, yeah. That's that's I like. I love that sort of stuff. Like I um, I'll play a game where they've got to hit it in the front right bunker or back left bunker or whatnot. And if they miss it, so they'll go out and they'll play. Like I coach a Westfield Sports High, which is um, you know, I've got some pretty good juniors in that program. But they'll tee off. They'll hit their normal tee shot, and I'll say front right trap. Now, if they miss it, they're all playing stroke against each other. But if they miss that front right trap. They've got to chip it in it or put it in it, you know, whatever. If they've hit it on the green, it's it's almost a one-stroke penalty for missing the bunker. And then they're once they're in the bunker, then they've got to try and get it up and down, and it's just more about just making it sort of extremely difficult for them when they play. I also found that my players started to actually have a bit more of common sense approach to their approach shots. So when they were in, when they were threatened with the ball getting kicked off the green, if they if they couldn't hit the green, when they had a four iron in their hand, they weren't aiming for the flag all of a sudden. Yeah, that's they were, right. They were playing for the center the of the green, part. playing a bit smarter yep. as well. That's good. So that's um, that's really cool. So I certainly do encourage that type of coaching. So. You've brought it up a few times throughout the conversation. Um, junior coaching, that's kind of where your speciality seems to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a heap of junior stuff through your socials. Yeah. Um, can you talk me through the, the thought process behind getting involved with juniors from early on? You know what? I I don't know. I reckon the psychological side of it is that where I grew up as a junior, I'd book a lesson with the pro. He'd cancel book a lesson with the pro and did it to a lot of people. I, like he's still a, he's a great guy. I'm not going to mention his name, but he, he was a great guy. But, um, you know, other things in life got in the way and, and I sort of have always um, just wanted to – I like seeing kids be happy and, um, you know, you, you just never know. There could be a kid, you know, I've got a few in my program that um, might have a hard time at school. And then they come and golf their outlet, and um, you know I I probably muck around more than I should, but realistically life's not that serious, and 
yes, I want them to be the best golfer they can be. I want them to be the best golfer in the world if that's what they want. But I want them to just have fun when they're at the golf course. It's like, sorry, I'll go back. I want to make it hard for them when they're practicing in my clinics. But realistically, you know, just come and come and have a good time. And um, I think just given the fact that, you know, the clinics and, and lessons when where I grew up, they weren't as structured as what we do. I just always wanted to have a, a really good program. And um, I don't know, I just I just love seeing a kid that turns up. I've, I've got a truckload of kids that have come and never played golf before or have had, you know, really minimal um, experience with golf. And, you know, they might start as a 10-year-old or whatnot and then they finish you know our program when they're 18 and they're they're off scratch or one or two I just love seeing that and I'm I'm not one of those coaches that wants to see a kid I mean I'd like to but I'm not one that wants to see a kid be off scratch at 13 I just see it too many times over the years even when I was a junior you see a kid that's you know a real early developer goes out can shoot even par at the age of 12 or 13 and doesn't play golf at 17 because the pressure from home just gets too much. And I'm big one of those, like I love Nico Hearn's story. I think he was, you know, he was a four at 17 or something like that. And realistically, there's no, there's no set criteria to say, Hey, if you want to make it on the PGA tour, you've got to be off plus one at 15 or, you know, there's, there's no race. That's what I love about, about golf. And I'd rather see a kid get better slower than, been really really quick yeah i think that's a that's a key point and um you've certainly hit on a couple of podcast guests that i would like to have on the show at some stage mr <laughs> mr o'hearn if you're tuning in i'd love to get you on and have a chat at some stage <laughs> hey, he's on my wish list don't worry as well yeah. <laughs> no i'm hoping i can get him on at some point in time yeah you brought up an, a point at the start of that that answer then I've, I've just tuned into a podcast called sports thoughts and mm-hmm. there's something that i was actually playing today in the car and he said something about about junior coaching and very similar to what you said there it was all about um, you don't want the kid at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, even 13, 14 years being um, so engrossed in being perfect golfer. Yeah. Um, and he said, one of the quotes he said in the podcast was, the kid that doesn't improve is the kid that doesn't turn up. Yep. So if the kids aren't turning up to your junior sessions, they're not going to get better. Correct. So if you set it up so the kids are going to have fun, of course they'll improve and of course they'll go through the process and get into that more yep. serious stuff as they get older. So really cool ideas there. Yeah, no, definitely. So talk me through your junior actual programs. How do you set them up? So a lot sort of evolved over the last decade. Um, back sort of 2010, 11, when I, was, uh, when I decided to just go it alone and just coach, um, you know, I had a couple of clinics and I had, you know, my my beginner kids and then some ones that were better and, and whatnot. And then when we sort of transitioned across to Liverpool, um, or back to Liverpool when that job come up, a few of them, it was where I'm at now versus the range. It's sort of a 15, 20-minute drive and a few parents already lived, you know, the other side of that range. So they sort of said, no, well, it's too far for us to travel and whatnot. But we've always had a good... <sighs> You know, we generally like a, a junior clinic might be an hour. And, and what I started to see was some of the kids just got bored by the end of like the last sort of 10 to 15 minutes. So I decided to, 
I decided to change it to a 45-minute po- uh, forty-five minute lesson and we sort of do 30 minutes of technical and then the last 15 minutes is always a skills test. So I want a kid to win a prize. Um, you know, it might be a chocolate out of the fridge or it might be a sleeve of golf balls or whatever it is. Um, one kid, not the whole class, right? Um, I hate, <laughs> you know, if my daughter comes home and she's got a medal for, you know, just participating. Uh, we, we used to give out medals and, and awards, and this is a whole other podcast. But it is a whole other podcast. Yeah, look, I, I'm big on, you know, yes, you don't want to hurt kids' self-esteem and all that. You know, it's great that they're turning up and trying, but I think for a while there we became a bit of a society that just for, for rocking up, you know, you got the same prize as the kid that has practiced for weeks and weeks and weeks to win. Like, you know, so so we basically changed it. So it was one prize. You know, a kid will come up, oh, I ran second, can't I get something? No, you're going to have to try harder. And um, so sort of 30, 30, 35 minutes, finish off with a skills test. Um, we sort of use like the, the US kids. We've got a bit of a hybrid program going on. So um, I won't say we're US kids. We've, we've got a little bit of US kids. We've got TPI. Um, bit of my golf stuff, like, you know, it's just probably something that I've worked on the last decade and gone, well, this works out of this program and this works out of this program. And um, a couple of years ago, I did um, level two TPI for the junior and um, just to learn, you know, what what should they be doing with their bodies. And so so now we've sort of morphed our, our program. Um, so it's still 45 minutes and I've got a, another – um, pro Bryce Alexis um, works for me or works for the club and um, you know he's a tremendous junior coach and he just you know he just follows on with me just just have fun like he just mucks around like we all have to put this personality on when we coach kids and you know it might not be our normal personality and and whatnot but realistically those kids just want to have fun as much as their parents want them to be the next tiger they're just no kid at seven years old turns up going, hey, I need to fix my swing plane or whatnot, you know. <laughs> but um, so, you know, we we have agility ladders, we have T-ball stations, we have med balls, and, you know, we've had the odd parent go, this is not for my kid. Like they just need to hit balls for 45 minutes and, well, that's fine. There's another program down the road that does that. So, you know, you can do that. And look, going back to one of your previous questions, like I've no doubt lost – juniors over the years because um i want the kids to have fun and there's parents that just you know they just push push and push and um you know those parents i've kind of don't want to sound like an idiot but i've almost shown them the door like look that's just not what we're about here you know we want the kids to be superstars but i want them to be good human beings as well and and i want them to enjoy their time here and that's yeah. extremely important and it is something that I do want to want to cover off on. Um, parents, okay, so you, you've touched on it quickly there. It can be a challenging space to be involved with and I'm in that space currently with my son who's in grade six and plays yep. every sport in the world except for golf at the moment. But um, <laughs> but I've, I've seen it from a, from a parent point of view and also from a coaching point of view because I'm involved with coaching his, some of his sports as well, so mm-hmm. his football and soccer. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Um, so I'm doing that as well as doing um, the parenting stuff as well. So how do you deal with the parents' expectations of what a junior program should be? You know what? I um, 
probably about four. I've always had good relationships with the parents of the kids that I coach. Um, probably about four years ago, yeah, four or five years ago, I decided that realistically our junior programs are their community, right? Golf courses are communities. We've got um, kids in the program because their parents are members at the club. And we've got kids in the program where their parents have never played golf before. So it is, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a hard dynamic sometimes because some parents understand, some don't. But I decided I wanted it to be a lot more of a club feel or community feel with my program. So we started doing three trips a year away. So I'd have a look at the junior calendar and I'd say, oh, my mate Daniel Newton, he's the head pro at Foster and Tung Curry, they got two courses there. His junior tournaments on this date. So I would email all the kids that have handicaps that are in our program, or I'd email their parents, and I'd say, "We're going to go. If you want to, we're going to go and play this junior tournament." Um, I run raffles throughout the year to raise money. It might only be a couple of thousand bucks a year that we raise, but um, that'll pay for their entry fees to the tournament. I take them all out for dinner. So the first, say it's a one-day tournament, it's on a Sunday, we go up Saturday morning, we have a practice round. Um, generally, I'll, you know, I might take my clubs and go and play nine holes or scoot around in a cart and sort of watch a few different kids and give them ideas around, what, you know, learning to play that golf course. We then all go out for dinner. There might be 40 to 50 um, kids and parents. You know, we book three or four different tables or three or four tables uh, my wife and my kids come along. It's such a cool thing. Um, and and just doing that, I think the parents know that I care, but it just added that little bit of extra. You know, I'm giving them a pep talk at dinner and, you know, just about going out and having fun or, hey, don't hit it left on 10. There's alligators in the dam down there and, you know, that sort of stuff. And it really just COVID's kind of stuffed it all up. But um, we we had some some great fun. We went south, we went north and, you know, couple of different um we always tried to pick like a coastal town so if the parents wanted to go to the beach or if they wanted to go and do things while the kids are at golf there was plenty of activities and you know we we've sort of talked about maybe doing some interstate ones here and there and it just that was i guess my way of dealing with parents they they can be tricky and i even say to my wife like she's you know background in child she works for uh, she's a social worker and i even say to her now like with my daughter at dancing or swimming or, you know, my son at soccer, just let the coach do his thing. Don't don't say a word. If you're unhappy, just talk to me about it at home. Don't talk to the coach. Just let them do their job. You know, um, I think it's very important to just let coaches, they're there for a reason, right? Unless you think, hey, this guy's got absolutely no idea I'm going to, you know, but just take your kid out of the program and, and move somewhere else sort of thing. But, you know, I think it's it's important for parents to just let, the coaches do their thing. There's obviously a reason behind um, why they're doing things a certain way. And, you know, if you don't agree with their ethos or whatnot, then perhaps, you know, look somewhere else. But I've got a pretty good rapport with most of my parents. And, again, in kids' sport, they're generally putting their hand up doing it out of the goodness of their heart anyway. So you yeah. don't want to Cor- say too cor- much. Correct. Um, we're getting some parallels here with you. I've, your wife's a social worker and so is mine. So oh, there you go. There, there you we go. go. We've got, cool. we've got the yeah. same name, same partners. We're all going well here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so 
I, just about those trips away, there's some of my greatest stories as a junior golfer were going away to tournaments. Like I grew up in the country and we used to get in the we used to travel up to all the country tournaments around the around the area. Yeah. So you'd get on the bus at six AM and you'd drive two hours and go and play a play a golf tournament on a Sunday and yeah. Some pretty cool experiences there. So it sounds like you're setting up some good stuff for those kids. It's good fun, mate. It's good fun. It's just just to be able to get away with them as well. And you know, and I'm out of the pro shop, so generally when I see them at work, there's always twenty different things going on inside my head. Once the clinic's finished, I've got to go back in and you know set up timesheets or organise a comp or you know or whatnot. But getting away is just you, you're giving them your attention for a hundred percent of the time too, which is good. No, that's good fun. Um, you said that you, you, you're quite happy to tell parents to head off somewhere else if they're not happy with the program, which I completely um, think is a really good thing to do, by the way. I think that's yeah. awesome. Yep. Do you ever try to talk them through how you go about it and try to explain to them the processes? You know, I um, I was lucky enough, um, I spoke before about Christian Rainey, who's a PGA member. He, um, he was Golf Australia's coach in Tasmania, like their state coach or whatever his role was. I was lucky enough, Cameron McCormick was out with Jordan Spieth in 2016, I think it was, or late 2015, um, playing the Australian Open at the Australian Golf Club and Golf Australia obviously asked him to come and speak to their coaches. And I think the coaches were allowed to bring a guest if they wanted. So Christian was up staying at my house to attend this and he said, hey, do you want to come? So... I went and someone asked him a question about um, it was a really good Aussie amateur. He's only about probably 20 right now. He's in the US. I'm not going to say a name, but, you know, it was a pretty common topic that perhaps the parent was really um, tricky to deal with. And he said, look, all I can say with tricky parents is get them in. They're going to have their idea of what's right. And you need to let them tell their side of the story and then sort of like don't just brush it off because then it's going to make matters worse. They're going to think that, you know, you don't value their opinion. So get them in, let them, let them say their side of the story and then sort of explain why you think that's not the best way and this is the way forward. So I think just, you know, I'm pretty honest with – I'm pretty lucky that a lot of the parents just leave me to do my own thing. Um, but, uh, you know, if you ever do get a tricky one or whatnot, it's just a matter of sitting down. You just lay all the cards out on the table and go, well, this is why I'm doing things this way. And, you know, I do have a, a parent every now and again that might say, hey, he needs to step it up. And I'm like, well, why? And then they'll go, oh, because of this. Okay, well, you know, I think, you know, they're 12 years old and realistically, if he was making it on the PGA Tour, it might not be for another 12 or 15 years. So we don't have to stress right now at 12, like, you know, he's not even in high school. Very true. Very mm. true. <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting slack. <laughs> no, but, mate, I think they have such, such a – they just have sometimes they have this over overinflated idea of what it takes to be a golf a pro or be a touring pro. And it's a sport – um, apart from a few exceptions to the rule that generally peak in their 30s anyway. So they're not Correct. having to be yeah. superstars at 10 or 12. They need to be hitting their peaks in their in their from 25 onwards, so to speak. It's not about being a superstar early on. Yeah, I completely agree. Which is which is hard to get through to some of them, by the way. So Yeah, I know. Um, oh, it's funny though. Like even like I've got a five-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son and – 
they both love golf, but um, they don't play very often. Like, and when I take them, the other day we were there and they were having an absolute ball and I said, all right, let's go. Let's get in the car and, oh, why are we going? And, you know, my wife's like, why did you pull them away when they're having so much fun? And I said, because I want them to come have, back. I want them to come back. And, you know, and I and I, I read a book once, I think it was about coaching juniors or it was a, an article or something, and it basically said, like, if you want your kid to be enthusiastic, you know, when they're right in the middle of having a great time, say, hey, we've got to go. So when they get in that car, they're like, I can't wait to go back to golf, you know, whether dad's going to take me back. Whereas if you're sitting there making them grind it out for hours and hours, they're going to hate it and they, they're not going to want to do it all the time, you know. So, it, look, I would love for my kids to, um, you know, be professional golfers and, and play on tour and all that sort of stuff. And sometimes I think, geez, am I being slack like, the fact that, you know, they're five or my oldest daughter's five and I haven't pushed her that hard, but like, you know. Come on, mate. You can't push <laughs> it is what, Exactly, exactly. It is what it is. She'll if she wants to do it, she'll ask to go more often. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now we've obviously spent a whole heap of time talking about kids, but you do other coaching as well. So talk me through some of the programs. You're involved with some online stuff with Skillis. I've seen you in, in there. Yeah. So that sort of derived from uh the last lockdown that we had, I wasn't allowed to. So I live five k's from work. They had a five k rule, so I was I was allowed to go there to play golf and to practice, but I wasn't allowed to work because okay. um, it was my. It, we were in a hot spot LGA, and it was a different LGA, so I wasn't allowed to leave my local area for work. So it was hilarious. The first Saturday, I wasn't allowed to work, but I went and played golf, and it just. <laughs> You know, the, the rules that they made up were a bit funny, but um, Skillist is it's something I've always wanted to get into. And it's been it's been good fun, but it's definitely um it, it it's it's almost like going back ten to twelve years. It's like someone sending you a swing and you're drawing lines and like I said, I've got all this tech now and I I, I have periods where I switch it off, but you know, someone might hit a bad shot in front of me and I'll be like, hey, before I make an assessment, can I just want to put this body track mat down and I want to see what your pressure's doing or I want to see, you know, if you're just if you not transferring, you know, your weight in, in the correct manner. Whereas someone sends you a video on Skillist, my opinion, you're guessing because you're not really seeing what the ball flight's doing. You're not in person. Um, and I've, I've loved it though. Because I've got some really good results and I've got, you know, students in Canada, the UK, all this sort of stuff. And it is funny, you know, you might wake up, I get up at sort of 4.30 most mornings and I've got messages there from students or new videos and it's good. It was brilliant during lockdown because, you know, I had a lot more time and it's been a little challenging the last few weeks just given that, you know, we have sort of 200 players most days at the golf club and I do lessons and then, you know, it's nine o'clock at night and I'm getting in the garage to give a few lessons, but it's been good fun. And, you know, yeah, I enjoy it. It's it's certainly something that I think is a great tool to have for your face-to-face clients as well. So to be able to coach them in person and then add that as a, as something that they can send to you um, as they're improving or whether they're, they're traveling or playing a tournament somewhere or they're hitting balls and they just want you to cast your eye over what they're doing, that can be a really handy tool. Yeah, it's, it's such a good um, – such a good platform and Baden's um we had a um 
like a Zoom the other week with Sean Foley, and you know he, I think he's sort of coming on now as a as a coach for them, and he was he was really insightful, and just seems like it's just going to get bigger and bigger. But you know, I have a student that found me on Instagram and travels like an hour and twenty to see me, and he's just decided. You know, he just subscribed to my monthly thing and he started sending through videos because it's just easier for him um, to just basically send me a video. I can send him back some suggestions. He goes and hits balls and it saves him, you know, two and a half hour return trip to see me. So. That's cool. There's so many apps out there these days that can keep that communication open. So you've got, you've got Skillers, you've got Coach Now, you've got Golf Coach app. There's so many ways to keep yeah. those communication lines open, which is extremely important. You've got to, you've got to keep those customers happy, don't you? It's so different to 10 years ago. Like I'd, I'd have my camera on the range and I'd plug it in and, you know, you'd video someone, then you plug it into your computer and then you download the file and you put it in. And now it's like I video someone and within one second, it's there and you can show them and you can compare and draw lines and then bang, you can send it off to them as well. And, you know, you can do voiceovers and it's just, yeah, the, it's, it's really, um, one of the pros back in the day when I'd just started my traineeship said to me that he, um, he paid his mortgage off by people forgetting. Okay. And it really stuck with me and I hated it and I, I won't say the person's name, I just, I was like, why are you coaching if that's the attitude that you're going to have? So from that day forward, I I used to handwrite notes at the end of every lesson. Um, handwriting then turned into text messaging, and you know, I'd you know, I'd be writing like a full screen of like, hey, I want you to just sort of feel this, this, and this, or whatnot. And when you go practice, I want you to have four practice swings, and then one ball, and then back to practice swings. And because if someone's paying me, you know. 100 bucks for a lesson, I don't want them to leave and go, that was shit. Like, we're in it for the long run, you know. And I, I, I recently, I put my prices up last year because um, they have their hour lesson and, okay, I'm, I charge 140 bucks for an hour, but it's not one hour. Like, it's one hour that they're with you, but, you know, they might come back again four weeks later, but the four weeks in between, they can send me as many videos as they want. And when I get a chance, I'll have a quick squeeze and I, and I write back to them or they might ask me a question and say, hey, I, I feel like I'm doing it right, but the ball's just sort of, you know, going this way. Or And I always say to them, like, yeah, I've put my prices up, but I'm here for you like almost 24-7. You, you want to ask a question, you just ask it. Don't feel like you have to book another lesson with me just to get, just to ask a question or just to hang out or whatnot, like just shoot me a message whenever you want. And um, I kind of feel like that's sort of helped um, my students as well. And of course, I'd, I don't want to be known as paying a mortgage off with people forgetting. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's awful. That's the fact that they it just gives me this real sense of that person's just there for the cash as opposed well, to actually helping people with their golf. He, he was, but, it, uh, you know, also he was sort of indicating that people don't listen. And, you know, don't feel bad if you give a lesson and the person doesn't get better. He was sort of, you know, but I still thought, well, hang on. Okay, yes, it might be their fault for not listening and whatnot, but that's, let's fix it. Like, how do we, you go back a step and the, go back one step and that step is, let's write them a note so that I still have students come to me and go, 
I read over our notes from five years ago. <laughs> like just yeah. because they're, they're searching. When they go to a range, and I'd rather them do that than go to YouTube and then they watch a, a me and my golf video or whatnot and it's not right for them, you know, even though they put out good content, that video might not be relatable to them at all and they end up further and further away. So, you know, we just got to do our best to help the student at hand. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I used to, I used to do something similar. I used to handwrite notes as well, also yeah. partly for them, but also for me as well, because I'm shocking at um, being able to tell what I did with a player when they come back in six weeks' time. So Correct. I used yep. to write the note and have a carbon copy behind it. So I, I read, I read my text messages. So if you know, if Brent Davis turned up for a lesson, I'd go back to our message sort of transcript, and I'd, be, I'd just have a quick little squeeze through and go, okay, oh, that's what we worked on last we time. We did that and that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Perfect way to perfect way to do it. So, mm-hmm. mate, it sounds like you you really switched on with that stuff and similar stuff again. So, yeah, I was something similar. I was when I first started taping swings. It was it was a camera. Take the camera to the computer, plug it in, get the swing onto the under the software, and watch yep. it. And then had to have a firewire cable to go. It from was the camera. <laughs> yeah, back to the laptop. And but then then the huge change was you could plug the camera straight into the computer and then capture it live. Live, and yep, thought exactly. that, well, that was awesome. I could do that straight away. And, um, and then obviously these days, as you said, you just pull out your phone and <laughs> take a quick snap. It's definitely it's so a easier. different world to sort of 10, 15. I remember saying to someone once, oh, they, Sony really just needs to build a camera that you could draw lines on and it would just make things so much easier. And then sure enough, you know, five years later, the iPhone comes out and, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah, well, again, your, your phone is such a high-quality video. And my first video camera was two and a half, two and a half grand and it was – only shooting at 30 frames per second. It was shooting mm-hmm. at the shutter speed was fast enough to stop the motion, but it was still only shooting 30 frames a second. Yeah, I know. I mean, my one does like 240 frames a second at the yeah, moment. Yeah, on your, on, your, on your phone these yeah, days. It's unbelievable. So talking about changing technologies and moving forward, podcasting. You're into podcasting now as well. Tell me how that came about. Just a thirst for, for knowledge. Um, I, I've got... You know, like obviously been around golf forever. That's all I've ever done. And, you know, I've got mates that have come through junior golf that have played on the PGA Tour. I've got one of my best mates, Caddies, for uh, – he's just – he's caddying for Sun Kang now, but he, he caddied for four years or five years for Marco Mira just recently. Um, you know, I've got students that are – or juniors that have come through our program at the moment that are um, – you know, college in the US and, you know, I know college coaches. And so I've sort of sort of written down, you know, 10 to 15 questions that I think can sort of go across all those areas about, you know, the, the main question is what are the great players doing different to the good players? And I mean, you know, a scratch golfer or a, a person that might go play an Australian amateur that's making up the numbers basically versus the guy that's winning it or he's, you know, top fiving or something like that or a you know an amateur that's getting into some pro events and doing really well and and whatnot say like an elvis smiley or whatnot you know obviously he's just turned pro i think but um i want to know what they're they're doing what are they doing differently to to other guys and it's it's funny i've i've had seven eight podcasts now seven alive i believe and there's a lot of varied answers um you know that I just did one with Aaron Price and it was phenomenal. It was just, you know, he just spoke so much about like um, self-belief being um, 
probably the biggest part of his life was he was just like, hey, I one, I need to start practicing more. He was in college and he was doing well and he's like, I need to start practicing more because I don't have anything to fall back on. But also, you know, I noticed you go to America, like in Australia, if you think you're good, you know, everyone thinks you're you're an idiot, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But in America, it's just it's just stock standard over there. They just all have so much self belief, and they all, you know, um, he he made this point. You know, they'd get on the bus after a tournament, and you know, he'd shot two under, and he's like, "Oh man, I I missed this. I hit this left. I did this. I missed a four footer." And he goes, "And the Americans just get on, and all they talk about is what they did well." He goes, "They don't talk about the four footer that they missed." And he goes, "Australians, it's like they're trying to prove something. Like, hey, I shot this, but it could have been way better." Whereas Americans just want to pump themselves up. And you know, I, with my junior coaching, I, I gave them all a book at the start of last year, and after every round, they have to write down three positive things that happened on the golf course. I don't care how many bad things happened. It could have been a hundred bad things, but I want them to just take the you know it's like a gratitude thing just appreciate what was good you know it could have been that they hit a five wood over a lake to a tight pin that they did never think they could do and they they pulled it off sort of thing but um sorry i got a bit off track there but no, going no. back going back to the podcasting like I, i'm just learning trying to learn as much as i can and i it's it was it was built around i just want young kids to realize that it's not easy um, they want to play on tour and, you know, we often joke a few of my mates that I played junior golf with that we just thought it was going to happen. Like, hey, one day, you know, I'll be on the PGA Tour and I'll be earning this and it's like, wow, we were so naive and, um, you know, I, I'd love to be able to go back 20 years and go, right, do this, this and this and you're going to have a better chance. Probably still wouldn't have made it but, you know, going to have a much better chance of um, of making it. But, um, yeah, the, pod, the podcasts are, are fun. As you know, it's – it's good. I could honestly just talk for hours and hours about, you know, this sort of stuff. I love it. No, it's cool. So how steep has the learning curve been with getting the podcasts out there, getting them getting them done and getting them out there? Yeah, look, it's it's funny. The first one that I, I did was with um, a young girl, Amy Chu. Um, she's at Washington State. And it was funny. We were just – it was I do it on Zoom and we were chatting and it was kind of like, I just didn't want to hit record. <laughs> we just <laughs> chatted for like 15 minutes and I was just so nervous. And um, it was, you know, I'm big on getting out of comfort zones and, and whatnot. And it was, I'm just learning. Even the start of this podcast, I was like, I'm going to rack your brain and I'm going to figure out what you're doing and how you're hosting it and what recording. And, you know, I may change a couple of things just based off, off our little chat here but look it's it's definitely a whole world out there it's you know when you're a golfer you want to compete and be the best you can and when you're a coach you want your students to be the best that they can and now I start looking at my stats with my podcast and I'm like how can I improve it or how can I get it out there but realistically it's it's you know people do podcasting to try to make money and whatnot it's the last thing on my mind if it ever happened I mean wow it'd be pretty awesome but realistically it's it's for my own my own juniors that I coach just to help them learn a bit more off some people that have made it. 
Yeah, I am completely the same. It's a it's a hard space, and it's just getting larger and larger. There's so many yeah, podcasts right. out there these days. And I had this chat with the golf guru Jason Sutton. He's got a podcast out there as well, and he was saying the average podcast only lasts half a dozen episodes, and it's gone. So it's done. Yeah, if you can get it out there, and I think I'm up to forty something now with a couple yeah, of good. couple of spots in between where you get sidetracked and don't get get them out there again. But yeah. It's again. It's just being consistent with it, getting it out there on a consistent basis, and um, it can be challenging to do, especially when you if you got working full time as well. Yeah, and two kids that are like a uh, couple little tornadoes around the house as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's sure. why we're doing this at nearly ten p.m. at night. Yes, I think my son's on in there on his iPad, being nice and quiet for a change. So that's <laughs> that's good. He's he's got a pupil free day tomorrow, so oh, he's not, he isn't going to school tomorrow. So no, that's good. Um, he's good. But that, again, the, the I've I've said this before with the podcast. It's a great excuse to talk to people about coaching. Um, Definitely. And it sounds like you've got some pretty good ideas for putting it out there for for kids and golfers in general. So really yeah. cool. Yeah. Thank you. So there's five questions I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast. So I'm going to throw those at you now. Yep. So for young coaches starting out, what tips have you got for them? What would you say to coaches starting out? Give as many lessons as you can, right? Even if they have to be for free, you know, just um, put a put a notice out on your, you know, club notice board or uh, an email out to the, the club database if you're at a golf club. And I've been to a, a million seminars, you know, whether they're in Australia or the US over the years and, you know, there's a plethora of um, information, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram. You know, there's so many coaches now that just have all of their um, student swings and ideas and all that out there for you to watch. But realistically, unless you can fix someone that's in front of you, even watching videos and learning off people, you still got to be able to put it in and, and, and learn that saying, you know, saying it one way to someone won't work for the next person. So, you know, you've sort of always got to have five or ten drills up your sleeve for, for each person because I've, I've had one where I've gone, try this. No, nope, that didn't work. Okay, let's try this. And, well, hang on, that one didn't work. And you really need to just – you've got to do a thousand lessons before you know what you're doing. And uh, you know what? Every When I was young and doing my traineeship, I every good coach always said I should refund every person that I gave a lesson to for the first two years and I was like, oh, that that won't be me. And, you know, here I am sort of 15 years later and I'm like, man, <laughs> I actually feel like I don't want to refund them, but I feel like texting them and saying, hey, I'm better now. Do you want to come back and have a lesson <laughs> for, for free? Um, I'll give you a freebie. But And the other thing is you, you really need to find a good mentor. So um, I referenced um, Alan Bull who was sort of Gary Barter's offsider back in the day when I was a trainee. I used to get some lessons off him and um, I used to take, so I had, you know, about 2011, I had, say, a dozen kids in my junior program that were good low handicappers and I would video their swings and take them down to him and pay him for a lesson and I might hit a couple of balls and, you know, he'd teach me a new drill or whatever and, and then we just sit there and just go through swings and he's like, right, this kid needs to do this and, you know, this girl's doing this and she needs to do this. Or, And um, just learning off other coaches. Like, you know, they say just going and shadowing and, and watching people. You know, I've obviously been around those guys at the Aussie and they've been really successful. There's some good players over the years. And, um, 
like I said, it's just getting in and doing it. You know, if you're a builder, you're never going to build a house really good day one. But, you know, 10 years down the track, you're going to be pretty good at it. So just get in and do as much as you can. It's awesome advice there. And, yeah, mm. certainly it's certainly a common answer that comes through with that question. Yeah. Um, how about golfers out there? What advice for them? Just make it fun. Um, you know, I think life's just so serious and – well, I shouldn't say serious, but just stressful, like everything that goes on in the world. And then, you know, I have guys that turn up on a Saturday and they play golf and they just – they get the shits that they've played bad, but they haven't practiced, you know, since the previous Saturday and their warm-up is two schooners and, you know, <laughs> um, I think, you know, just get out and make it. It's, it's such a hard game. You're going to fail way more than you succeed. And, and you know, my daughter's learning to ride a bike and, you know, she falls over, she gets the shits and sorry, I hope I can swear on this. No, it's and I say to her, I want you to fall over because that means you're having a red-hot crack. Like if you're falling, that means you're trying and you're out of your comfort zone. You're not good enough to ride yet. Like she's, we've taken the training wheels off and the more she falls over, the closer she is to getting it right. And she's just, I think if you take that pressure away from people, you know, expectation levels, just drop the expectation levels. You know, if you miss a green from 150, chances are you're probably supposed to, you know, chip it on. One part, two part, go to the next, and you know, there's um, there's way too much pressure people put on themselves to perform. It is, it is certainly hard to explain to that 22 handicapper that he shouldn't be trying to take on the 240 meter carry over water to a tight oh, bit. You know what? I, I'll have a 24 handicapper or whatever come for a lesson, and oh, I need to hit my driver further, and I need to hit it straighter, and I need to hit more greens. And I'm like, well, actually, you don't even need to hit one green. I said, if you hit your ball down there, it doesn't even need to be on the fairway. And you, let's say it's a par four and you hit your second shot 20 or 30 meters short and you chip on and you two putt, you've made a bogey. You do that for 18 holes, you've just beaten your handicap by six shots without hitting your green in regulation. Oh, okay, yeah. So I think people are just, they see these guys on TV just like, it always, I love watching the golf. And I love my students that watch the golf. But the worst part about it is they're seeing guys that are, are having not the week of their life because, you know, a Dustin Johnson or a Tiger have won so many, but, you know, they're seeing guys that are just playing so well and they're holding everything. But what about the guy that's just missed the cut or he's, you know, finished tied 70th? Like he's missing greens, he's missing chips, he's missing putts, but they're not, they're not getting the coverage on TV. So everyone thinks that they should be holding 20 footers all day. Because that's what the leader's doing. That's <laughs> what they see on the TV. Yeah, yeah and, and that that's ex exactly right. They don't see the guy that's struggling that day. But that being said, I did watch the golf this morning and saw some guy go from short of the bunker, flubbed it over the other side of the green, then hit it back in the bunker, then back on the other side of the green, and cut up and down for a six or something. So there you go. Yeah, I did was, see it. He, he was he was close to the top as well at the time. <laughs> I saw a um, I think it was on Twitter or something like that. They said they, you know. It'd be pretty cool if they had a a section whenever the golf's on, just showing a few people that are grinding to make a cut, rather than the guys that are up the top leading. I know that's you know at the end of the day that's what people want to see, but it'd be so cool to watch a guy that's you know right on the cut line and he's got four holes to go and just see the stress that they're under. I reckon that'd be it's more that, real, it more lifelike. Be. Yeah. 
It would be. Um, now, you said a few times throughout the podcast that if you could go back in time and tell yourself a few things when you were in your 20s, you, you would. But is there anything mm. that you would change in your, in your golfing career? Probably meditate earlier. I started meditation about three years ago, and I don't do it as much as I should. But I like I've got a fair few sort of juniors in my program that are doing it now, and it's just having that quiet mind is, um, I think, it's super important for for golfers. And I would love to to go back to you know college. 20 years ago and go, hey, you should – I probably would have laughed at myself for saying it. Like, what, <laughs> you want me to sit there and listen or, you know, listen to my thoughts. But um, anything I'd change in my golfing career or – Yeah, or just in life in general. You know what? It's – no. I, I, everything that's happened happened for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny. Like, I had that arm robbery when I was 17 – and I've probably my whole life I've had to deal with anxiety and I've never had that. I've never felt sorry for myself for it. I've never taken medication for it. I've done things to, um, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol. I don't really drink sugary drinks. I just, I do everything that's right to make me feel better. And I reckon it's helped me so much with my coaching just because I can relate to that person that's standing on the first tee of a junior tournament or a, or a big tournament or whatever, and they're, they're shitting themselves because I went through a period for five, ten years of my life where I just felt like that every day when I woke up. And, um, you know, I always was told it was anxiety and this, and my wife, obviously, being a social worker and whatnot, she said to me, she goes, it's, I think you got PTSD. I have never been diagnosed with any of that sort of stuff or whatnot, but, um, you know, just going back on what you said, like I, don't, I, I would never change anything because whatever's happened, even if something shit's happening in your life, there's a reason why it's happening and it's going to sort of set up, you know, the future. And I um, obviously went over to Caddy for Ewan in the US and sort of only lasted about a week over there and came home. But, you know, not long after that I met my wife and I look at it and I go, if I had stayed there for the rest of the year, I would never have met her and, you know, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't change any anything at the moment. That's all cool. A completely valid answer for that one yep. and yep. Qu quite a common one too, by the way. Mm. Everyone tends to tends to answer that one similar. Yeah. Um, okay, so you can answer this one way or both ways. So yeah. five years' time, where do you see yourself or coaching in general? Yeah, you know what? You obviously sent me through a few little questions that you might ask me, and and that one, I left blank. Um, I don't know. Ten years ago, I wanted to, you know, have X, Y, and Z, and probably three years ago, I had it. And like in terms of, I had all these goals that I'd I'd wanted to achieve with my coaching, and you know, two or three years ago, I'd achieved them all, and. Uh, it was such a busy, like I had that many kids under my <laughs> under my wing at the golf club, and it was just, you know, we were a really busy golf club. And in a perfect world, I would like to just be a full time coach. Um, it's obviously not possible at the moment. I I enjoy running the golf club and being the head pro where I'm at and whatnot. And even even now, like I have these thoughts some days when it's just so busy. I'm like. Man, I'd just love to just coach full time and you know not have to do the shop stuff. But 
I think I'd miss it. So I like that member interaction and, you know, I get it. We all, me and my staff just get along so well with all our members and whatnot. But um, I, I'd like to be full-time coach, 75% juniors, 25% adults. That's just just what I like sort of doing, you know. So that sorry, I haven't really answered that question too well, but... Um, no, I, I think that if you see yourself a goal there to be be a full time coach and obviously heavily involved with kids, which is yeah. which is a, which is which is cool. I think that's a yeah. great thing. Um, yeah. I think kids can be a they can certainly be fun to do. They can be yeah. extremely oh, hard work as well. well. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. Um, I think it's easy to think that coaching kids is is easy, but it's not. It's, yeah. It is it is hard work, and you've got to be mm-hmm. set up pretty well, and you have to be across all your stuff really strongly to be able to yeah. coach kids full time. So, mm-hmm. no, that's that's a, that's a completely cool answer. So, yeah, no, fine with that one. Um, where do you go to seek out extra learning or extra information about coaching? Um, so I used to sort of stalk the, the TPI, my TPI website a lot. Um, Mark Blackburn, he's a, like, he was PGA coach of the year, I think in the U S last year. Um, I, I did TPI in New York in 2012, um, like in person over there. I did, went to one of their two day things and he was one of the, um, instructors there. So that was nearly 10 years ago. And, I don't know. I always just sort of thought, wow, this, this guy's good. Um, he just spoke so well, so, so clear and it wasn't overcomplicated and sort of followed his coaching career. And obviously the way social media has gone lately, the last sort of five years or whatnot, like get to see a lot of his stuff and he's got some good players on the U S tour. And, um, what I like about him is none of his students have the same swing, (laughs) Um, he he works with their limitations. Obviously, being a TPI instructor, he's sort of um, he knows what their body can and can't do, and he just works with that. Um, Andrew Rice does a coach camp. Um, I really wanted to try to go a couple of years back and couldn't do it, and now obviously it's sort of moved digital because of because of COVID. Um, so I I watched that. They've got one coming up, I think, next month. Um, yeah, it has always a bunch. Up soon. Yeah, a bunch of good coaches on there. Um, I've been to, I think, just about every coaching summit that the Australian PGA have held um, since two thousand and six, maybe. And then I've done two in America, um, twenty seventeen, twenty nineteen. Um, just because I, I've been to the ones in Australia, and you just. It sort of felt like, okay, I've learned so much from the Aussie coaches and, and whatnot, and we'd obviously get a big name come in like a Ledbetter or a Cowan or something like that, but I wanted to go and just sort of sit in the room and just listen to how some of the Americans that are doing it that you've never heard of before. And, you know, of course I get I, – I sign up and I get this sheet and it's like I haven't heard of this guy, I haven't heard of this guy, and then you, you start, you know – doing some research on them and wow this guy's coached some good tour players or he's done this and that and um just some short games probably the the track that i'm heading down at the moment because i just feel you know someone can come for a full swing lesson and they just can't change physically their body's just limited and their motor patterns are you know so stuck in the in the one train but you you get them on a short game do some chipping and putting and you might be able to knock six to ten shots off their round just by getting their thought process changed with um, where the ball should land or 
you know, how they should feel in their swing and whatnot. So James Rigid, some really good short game coach, um, coaches Molinari and whatnot. And he's, it, it's just bizarre to watch a guy like that. Remember Stan Utley coming to Royal Pines back in, I think it was like 2008. Yeah, it'd be about 2008. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I remember watching it. And I was just, I was young and I was like, this guy's got no idea what he's talking about. He was teaching, <laughs> teaching, it, like, you know, he was teaching people to use the bounce, but it looked like he was teaching people to flip their hands at impact. And I was like, God, I couldn't teach that to anyone. And then James Rigid, I watched some of his stuff and it looked the same. And I was like, hang on, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give this a bit of a, and it just, wow. It was just, the margin for error was so much, like, it, you don't have to be as good as, you know, people get the forward shaft lean and they just dig the, the leading edge into the ground. And, you know, I've realized like any person I gave a chipping lesson to for about five, ten years there, I I should be giving them their money back because now the results are just so much better just doing it that way. So he's he's a phenomenal um, short game coach and um, he's got a good YouTube video out. I think it was his 2015 presentation at the PGA Teaching and Coaching Summit in the US and it's – it goes for about an hour, I think, or you know, just under, and it's really worthwhile watching. But those are sort of, I mean, we all get stuck up on Instagram and those sorts of things. But I like, you know, speaking honestly, I probably went through a period two years ago where I thought I had no idea how to coach because you, you're watching all these guys put up these swings and you start going, wow. Like, I can't see the difference. They're putting up one video and then they're saying improve this, this, and this, and it's like they look identical. And I ended up unfollowing a few coaches because I just, I don't know, some of it just felt fake and, you know, Instagram is in that bit of a weird world where um, I probably don't want my kids on there because people only put up the best five seconds of their day and, you know, makes you start to feel (laughs) pretty bad about yourself sometimes. So, yeah, I I try to – like I see some stuff there, but I only follow some good coaches that put up real stuff sort of thing, you know. No, that's that's cool. I am certainly some some good sources of information there, and it is so easy these days to be able to access those world class coaches online. You can see yeah. their stuff online. You can see yeah. their stuff on social media. Hear it on podcasts. You can you can certainly access it um, pretty easily these days. Which is a really different. Cool. It's a different world to what we're living in, where you know you guys at the PGA or whatever used to send out DVDs, and <laughs> we'd have to watch and rewind and all that sort of stuff. So. That's good. I think very, very early in my career at the PGA, working at the PGA, I spent going through all those DVDs and turning them into YouTube videos so people could watch them online. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was part of it. So, mate, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, let's throw some plugs out there. So. Where can people find you? Give us a podcast name, which we didn't actually do when we spoke about the podcast. No, you're right. So the the podcast is uh, Your Golf Performance. So it's on most um, – you can tell I'm a bit of a rookie at this. It's on most of the podcast channels um, like the Apple one and the Spotify and whatnot. But I think wherever you get your um, podcast from, it should be on there, <laughs> I hope. Um, <laughs> now, just, just quickly on that, did you fix the typo in the name? Was that the um, – the golf, the the, Perf- the actual performance was spelt wrong on yeah on the, so on the I, podcast. I actually took a screenshot and sent it to Christian Rainey, my my mate. And I said, 
no one's pulled me up on this yet. And I didn't realize till about four episodes in, I think it said your golf before it had, it had a letter missing out of it. Or it something. did. Cause I, I saw it come up on your socials and I went to search for it yep. and I couldn't find it. Yeah. And then when I searched for you personally, I found it and I thought there's a bloody typo in the name. I better give him a call and, so and there, tell there, him. There's a, there's a story behind that, right? I, I feel, I don't want to sort of go on too much and make this a four hour podcast for you, but, um, I feel like people wait too long to do things and they try to perfect everything. And I basically went from, oh, I want to do a podcast, I want to do a podcast, you know, and I kept procrastinating and I just went, I'm doing it, and I booked my first person the next day. I had no idea if I could have had this 30-minute conversation with Amy and I didn't know if it was going to record, if her voice was coming through. I had no idea. And I made that obviously spelling mistake. The first few episodes didn't have an outro and it just was like, you know, people were like, hey, it was like a conversation and then the phone cut out and (laughs) it's raw. I'm learning as I go and it's sort of I'm trying to teach my students as well, like just get in and have a crack. Just if if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, you've missed the boat. You've waited too long. So. So they but can you're find the, the first podcast. person to pick up on it. <laughs> no, I saw it early on because I said, like, I can't find this podcast. Where is it? <laughs> and then when I saw your screenshot, I think, on Instagram, I said, oh, that's why I can't find it. He's typed it in wrong. So oh. when it's come up on Apple, it's come up with the with the What typo. a rookie. What a rookie. <laughs> so, mate, that's all fine. So people can find that now because it has been corrected. You can search yes. for it by name when you can find it. I have, I have noticed that. So um, how about social media handles, Instagram? Uh, Instagram is just at Brent Dale Golf. Um, I've got Twitter. I think it's at Brentdale Golf as well. I think I um, I, I, I don't really use Twitter that much. Um, but uh, yeah, Instagram's sort of it. I don't even I, look. To be honest, I don't I don't post that much on there. I post a little bit here and there. If I I tend to, you know, yesterday we had a junior clinic on and I videoed some stuff and I just I still haven't like I'm not I sort of I'll, I might video and go oh, this would be really good to post and then I just don't don't do it. I've got to probably get better at it, you know, but. I'd rather be spending time with the kids that I coach rather than just videoing and trying to boost my social uh, numbers. No, yep. I get that. I get that. But I will put some links to everything in the show notes so people can find those. If appreciate they wanna, that, mate. want to get in touch with you. So, mate, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Great conversation, uh, as I expected, and certainly you've come through with some great information for everybody. So appreciate your time. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. <laughs>